Hey, this is Pastor Nate Cook, and you're listening to Pontificating Pastors, a podcast where we lock two pastors in a room and just let them talk about anything and everything. My friend Michael Pig is a church planner in San Marcos, Texas, and I'm a traditional church pastor here in Midwest City, Oklahoma. Today on the podcast, Nate's getting ready for a sabbatical, which leads him and Michael to talk about what is a sabbatical, and maybe why the rest of us need to learn to rest as well. So we hope you'll sit back and relax and enjoy this episode of Pontificating Pastors. Hey, Michael, how's it going this week? It's going well, Nate. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. I am just kind of in the middle of a week and getting ready for a board meeting. I heard that your uh, daughter got to come home for her mother's birthday this weekend. She did. She did. She came home and she brought Tyler with her. I know. I was going to say, my son tagged along. I did watch your worship this week. Call me... uh, a proud parent or whatever you will, but I did watch it this week. It was yeah, good. They did, a, they did a good job. They did a good job. And uh, it's kind of, we haven't had a consistent worship band since we've been meeting outdoors and uh, for lack of child care during COVID. It's uh, rather a difficult scene. and so It really it is. Nice, it's nice to have them home uh, because they don't have kids. And uh, they didn't have to worry about it. And they just got up there. And uh, Maggie hadn't been home in a while. And so she got to, you know, lead worship. And folks hadn't sang songs in a while. And so everybody was feeling like, man, this feels like uh, something I remember. Yeah. Well, I also heard that Maggie cooked you cookies. Because I always send you pictures of the (laughs) cookies that Maggie cooks at our house on Sundays. Yeah. Yeah, I... I knew the other day, Ryan Amy sent me a cookie uh, text that said, man, these cookies sure are good that Maggie made. And I thought, oh, Nate just told him to say that. And then, and so I called him a punk. And right. Then, right. And then uh, as soon as I called him a punk, there came a Brent Green text that said, oh, these cookies are good. I bet you wish you had some. We might have had a discussion. Yeah, I could I could see you on the other side of the phone. <laughs> Yeah, against me. So yeah, Ryan was up for uh, NY council meeting, so we were his bed and breakfast, and his daughter's on the council now, so they both came to our house and Maggie ba- made cookies for all of us, which was very sweet of her. She likes to make cookies. While she was here, Nathan uh, called her. Your son Nathan called her and said, um, "Hey, uh, there's no cookies. It's <laughs> Sunday afternoon, and there's no cookies." <laughs> <laughs> so right. apparently Maggie's been making cookies for somebody every Sunday afternoon. She made these ones when she was home this time. Um, they're they're an apple cider caramel caramel apple cider cookie. And that sounds basically, amazing. It basically tastes like a cookie that's got a caramel apple rolled into it. And um, they're some of my favorites, and we really enjoyed them. But we took the some to the neighbors, and for whatever reason, we left the majority of them there. And I think that was a bad idea. Because I like the neighbors, but I like those cookies a lot, too. So, 
Well, your CrossFit might tell you that, uh, or whatever you call it, Camp Gladiator may tell you that it's better that you sent most of them to the neighbors. Oh, I'm pretty sure. feeling it in the morning. This was, this was the long weekend. So uh, we have a cycle that we go through that's like, you know, endurance and strength training. And week after week is a different emphasis. And um, when we get to the end of it, we have a thing called Community Week. And there's a Saturday workout that we typically don't make because there's like 100 people show up to it. And I have no desire to work out with 100 people, just to be honest with you. I, yeah, I like our I like our small five thirty group and getting to know people while we're working out. But I I'm not interested in you know a workout party because a workout doesn't feel like a party to me. It feels I don't want everybody to see me looking that <laughs> that, that ragged. Um, so I uh, and it's during the day too. Whereas the the five thirty still dark and and uh, you know you can disguise some of your some of your angst and some of your hurt in the shadows in the parking lot but um this was this was the monday that we came back from the long weekend and the monday after the long weekend is the worst right i'm like i just look over at shelly inevitably at some point during our monday workout and go why are we doing this like what was yeah (laughs) what did did we we just decide to to sign up for this yes whose idea was this so anyway i have an idea i know whose idea it was and not it was Shelly's. Yeah. It was Shelly's. It was definitely Shelly's. Like, I'm only there because I like her. That's it. Right. Like, that, some people I think actually go to be in shape. I just do it because my wife enjoys it, and it's time well spent with her. And it's, uh, there. occasionally, I will get really into it, and I will, you know, I will push myself, and then I regret it. Because yeah. uh, the rest of the day, I'm like... You're walking you know, around, and... Yeah, those people Slowly say. getting up. Those people who say, "I I feel so much better when I work out." I think, no, I just want to take a nap the rest of the day. Yeah. But. Well, um, Paula and I have been walking three miles, and I walk those for with her for the same reason, because my natural gait is like about a twenty minute mile, and hers is about <laughs> a sixteen minute mile. Okay. So, <laughs> so you're a you're a, a stroller. I stroll. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I definitely do. But when I walk with her, I think we usually get about 17 and a half, 18-ish, because I push myself, and it feels weird. I'm like, this is not walking. This is like, I want to run, but I'm not that committed. Like, like it's just, because I run much faster than she does, but she walks so much faster than I do. I also started something else since I've seen you last. What's that? Or talked to you. I am in improv class. Oh, yeah? Yes. Because a sermon wasn't enough improv for you every week? <laughs> right. Oh. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm just going up there and making it up as I go. <laughs> no. It, it's funny because I watch The Office a lot, and he goes to improv class, and some of the, there's some funny scenes where he's in improv class. like He, uh, he just shoots everybody. Right. Every he time, takes right? out a gun every time. Yeah. It's always the gun. Well, so I I thought it'd be fun to go do something new, meet some people outside the church, you know, because I kind of, you get caught in your little church bubble sometimes. So I thought it'd be cool to meet some people in Oklahoma City that I've never met before. And then to learn something new now that I'm an empty nester and I'm done with grad school, I thought, well, maybe in my free time now, which I have a little bit of, I'll go take an improv class. And you know what I found out the first night? What's that? Improv is basically youth group games. 
Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's all about, like, these things where you stand around in a circle and you're like... Like, there's this one where you go bunny, bunny, and you point bunny ears to yourself, and then you go bunny, bunny at somebody else. And then the people next to them are, like, saying something like ticky-tocky, ticky-tocky, and if you don't do it, like, you mess up. I was like, this is stuff I used to do in youth ministry. Oh, yeah. And then there's all these things where you have to finish a story if somebody else starts it, and then they'll just point at you, and you have to pick up the story where somebody else left off. I was like, I have done this to kill time at youth ministry uh, when I'm out of games, you know, I've done oh, things absolutely. like this all the time. Absolutely. So, how many times did we play brown bag, or where you get a prompt and then you have to come yeah. back in and and act out the prompt? Yeah, uh, the prompt. But the props that they give you are not suitable. Like they give you a prompt and they give you a whole different set of props, so that the props have to actually be something else, and you have to do a lot of pantomime. It's a, that's a fun that's a fun thing. I used to do a an improv children's sermon in the first yeah. so the first church that I that I served as pastor I uh, in Snyder Texas I would uh, I would let them pull something out of a treasure chest or a brown bag and and I would try to relate it to the gospel somehow I don't when know we can do that stuff again when oh, we yeah. can do that when people can actually touch common items I might have to steal that because I know my friend Travis Lee used to do uh, at First Indian Church with the youth there would do what he called sermon in a sack. And he'd yeah. send them out to get three items to put in this bag from anywhere on the premises. And then he'd have to make a sermon out of it. So, yeah, yeah, that's, that's not generally fun. how we preach, just for no, those no. of you. Um, no. We, we generally start with the scripture because that's really important. <laughs> that's start with the scripture. We, yeah. we had that conversation earlier this week, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, we've given your daughter a really hard time in our intern group because the first time she preached, I said, would you like to preach, Maggie? We really love, love you to preach. We were showcasing young preachers on a Sunday night. And she said, oh, yeah, I've got something in my journal that I'll preach about. And I said, we usually use the Bible, Maggie. <laughs> and she, she just started laughing. And ever since then, whenever we talk about Maggie preaching in the future, I'm like, don't forget to bring your journal. And uh, it's, it's kind of a running joke. But oh, to her credit, sure. her journal had scripture prompts in it, which I didn't realize at the time. But it was it was pretty funny. Like It was like, no, we don't just take our journal and, oh, this is how I'm feeling, so I'm just going to say it and hope I find a scripture that matches it. Or we don't well, just grab yeah. things that are out there and say, let's make a sermon out of this. We usually start I've with heard a sermon or two over the years that I thought that's what how it was formulated. <laughs> Me too. And I've I've actually probably preached a sermon or two that even though I wanted to think that I was being exegetical, <laughs> I was probably just sort of here's my opinion. Let's see oh, if that's yeah. the gospel. So yeah, I I think that's true. But uh, even our best efforts sometimes, you know. Our own feelings kind of can take over a, a message over sometimes if we're not sure. careful. Um, yeah, and you have to be careful that you're not just doing Book of the Month Club. Yeah. Where um, where the book that you're reading is is shaping more of your understanding of the gospel than than the gospel itself is. So. Yeah, you know we're both preaching out of a book study right now, right? <laughs> we are. We are. And I get... I, it is. It is tough. I know what you're I'm saying. I'm like, uh, yeah, you know, I see where you're going with that, but um, I'm not sure that the scripture actually lets us go there or that I can say it, that I can take quite the 
direct route that you're taking. Um, I need to I need to visit several other passages of scripture that help tie this together in a systematic theology or whatever. Yeah, that that's very difficult to do, especially you know I, I was I I heard a YouTuber talking about 5G networks, and he was being very evangelistic about new 5G networks, and I thought it doesn't matter really what what it is that you're trying to promote. There are preachers in every, oh in yeah, in every industry. Every industry oh, has for a preacher sure. in it. So, yeah, I mean, if you've ever had a friend get in their multi-level marketing oh, plan, gosh. I used to joke with uh, some people that I know that sold this uh, Plexus stuff. That you know, if you talk that much about Jesus, you might get the whole world saved. It wasn't very <laughs> funny, actually. I don't think they thought. It was- they didn't. They didn't think that was funny at all, huh? That what's What's interesting is, um, I had a friend, and you. Well, he was your friend too. You knew him, uh, Chase Clark, up in Amarillo. He oh, yeah. once. Uh, he was so proud of his iPhone. I remember when he first got an iPhone, and they were brand new, and he was like, "Hey, that's my iPhone, and it does this and this and this and this." And he'd tell you all about his iPhone. And uh, one day, I I saw him, and I I said. Uh, Hey man, I texted you the other day and you didn't respond. And he said, "Well, because I didn't, I didn't know that was your number because I don't have everybody's number memorized because I got a new phone." And he pulls out this flip phone, and I said, "Like a brick, not even a flip phone, like just the old Nokia brick." And right. um, and he said, uh, "Yeah, I got this new phone." And I said, "What's the deal?" And he said, uh, "He said, well, you know, I'm a pastor, and I found that I was talking more about my iPhone than I was about Jesus, so I thought I needed to remedy that." And so, <laughs> so he went back to a brick, which is such a such a Chase Clark kind of thing to do. That is I, a I Chase have, thing to do. I really respect his uh, enthusiasm and passion for for things. He's a good guy, but haven't seen yeah. him in a while. Haven't seen him since that last child was born. So. I I wonder how how they're doing. If you're listening, Chase, we're wondering how you're doing. That's right. Just just drop in and let us know. <laughs> well, you know what else I'm doing these days? I'm uh, you're planning a sabbatical, right? Yeah, and you know, um, if you're leaving like for a vacation, sometimes it's harder to like you do more work to leave <laughs> than you do like you feel like than if you too just much, would have yeah. stayed there. I've said before, it's too much work to go on vacation. Yeah. Well, imagine going on, not vacation, because it's a sabbatical, by the way, but going on a break for multiple weeks at a time. You keep saying that. You keep telling people that. (laughs) I'm just joking. (laughs) Well, Uh, you only work one one day a week anyway, right, Pastor? Yeah, well, uh, that is is one of the common misconceptions about sabbaticals. So while we're talking about it, we could get into that. Um, There you go. Tell us, what does it mean to plan a sabbatical? What is a sabbatical, and why should one even consider taking a sabbatical? Yeah, so I think it's, uh, first of all, it's it's kind of a biblical pattern that our church recognizes and other church recognize that, you know, in, in the biblical pattern, it was every seventh year, you would re- let the land rest like for a whole year, which was basically their work, you know, so... Um, I'm not taking a whole year off. Uh, that's that's not typical in our in our day and age, but um, it's a it's a time to rest. And it's a time to kind of renew, and uh, for pastors, 
uh, most of the time sabbaticals are offered in like your seventh year. Well, when I was here, we had talked about it a little bit, my six year review, and then our church was burned to the studs. And so during that time I was helping do a building program and stuff. So coming up on 11 years here and at my 10 year review, they're like, we want you to take a sabbatical. That's, that's like what they came back from my review with. One of my members said it this way, we don't want you to take this the wrong way. Like, we want you here, but we want you to take a sabbatical. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I'm not yeah. taking it the wrong way. So so the idea behind it is biblical and that whole kind of Sabbath, uh, resting, trusting that God can take care of things without you. I think one of the things that I'm learning for me as a pastor is it will probably be just as hard for me to leave as it will be for the church to kind of function without me, or maybe harder, because like... Uh, I think we we sometimes overestimate our value. Not that we're not valuable in the sight of God, but that the church can't run without us or can't go on without us. You know what I'm saying? And so yeah, uh, yeah. so this this will be a great thing for the church in, in some ways uh, to realize they are ministers. And, uh, you know, I am the one who's been called to help lead them. But but ministry can go on without your pastor present. And it should if we look at the biblical model. So so when you plan a sabbatical, a lot of times there's several aspects. There's a, you know rest and renewal. So I'm going to spend some time with my family, both right. my immediate family, my extended family, my brother, my mom, my dad are all in different locations because, you know, you have to be there pretty much every Sunday. You don't get to travel um, and see them as often. Uh, you can't just take a weekend off all the time. And, right. uh, and so it cuts out the amount of time you can travel sometimes being a pastor. So I haven't got to see them a whole lot. So I'll spend some time with my mom, my dad, my brother, uh, my own personal family, my, my immediate family. And then, uh, then some, I'm going to take some time for silence and solitude and to listen to the Lord. Kind of where we're at as a church, we've, we paid off our building. Just uh, celebrated my 10 years with them last year. And it's just kind of this... It's a good space for us to think about the future. And while I won't be directly thinking about the church, because you're kind of supposed to disconnect from all that, um, I'll be thinking about you know where God is leading me going forward. And then sometimes there's an educational aspect. So I'll take some books. Um, originally, I thought about going to a writing seminar. Uh, I, I had written a grant for this that I did not receive. So I'm kind of in the middle of reworking the whole thing. But the whole idea is just just to allow an extended period of rest, kind of a reset um, in, a, in a pastor's ministry um, so that the constant like 24-7, because you know as well as I do, um, our work will never be done because there's always another person. There's always another one that's not in the sheepfold, right? Um, there's always right. another person to minister to. There's always another person to love. And so, uh, so 24 seven, you're on call, um, for years at a time. And it's just this idea of, of disconnecting, uh, to be with God, to be with people, um, who you don't get to see because of ministry often and, uh, resting, relaxing a little bit and then learning as you, as you're there. And, and the goal is that the church will, during that time, uh, realize 
their role in ministry, um, realize that God is sufficient for them without their pastor there, and that you'll realize that God is sufficient for you while you're away, and also uh, to keep ministry going. That it's it's this big, huge act of trust, if you ask me, to say we believe God can handle. God's kingdom, and we get to be a part of it, but we do not make it up. Like, we are not uh, the be-all, end-all of whether God's going to work in Midwest City. Uh, so we get to join in, but but even if we don't, you know, if we don't have our pastor here, we as a church can continue to minister. And for me as a pastor, that will take a lot of faith and a lot of trust to say, um, many pastors... Are, a little bit micromanaging because there's a way we want certain things done and we like to see them done that way. And, uh, and so it's a good good uh, um, time for me also to take my hands off a little bit. So, Sure, sure. And What are your thoughts? Of course, of course, you know, on, upon return, the expectation is that you will then become more productive. Yeah, renewed, refreshed, <laughs> not more well, productive. I was yeah, so I was you're being, being sarcastic. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry, I missed your sarcasm there. But <laughs> no, I, I you know. No, the there's... expectation is that I won't be tired, like preaching from a place of worn outness. That's not a word, but I made it one. No, that's a fine word. Um, because you can tell when somebody preaches when they're not fresh. Like yeah, I, I've sat through those sermons before. Sure. And when I, a person's tired, I can I can tell when I preach and I'm not fresh. Yeah, like ten, the tendency to ramble or the tendency to uh, to harp. I think preaching from a, a spirit of bitterness or tiredness is is detrimental to a congregation because it's certainly not filled with hope. And so, uh, you know, anything that doesn't tend toward hope tends toward fear. And yes. uh, so then we kind of we kind of get in this place where where the rules are what propel us and motivate us and eternal damnation or eternal uh, bliss uh, become, you know, more important than the here and now. And uh, and so we start talking about those kind of things and let that shape our theology. And so there's there's just so many things that take place whenever we whenever we aren't refreshed. And the truth is, is that um Hopefully, congregation members are coming to church, um, coming to a church service. I shouldn't say coming to church. We are the church. Um, but coming to a church service to be refreshed, to be encouraged, to be, you know, to find some voice and, uh, and contemplative moments and rest in the presence of God uh, with his people so that they can then... Uh, find the energy and the motivation and the purpose that they're looking for throughout the week or to motivate them and carry them throughout the week. And so when they come on Sunday and the pastor is tired and just, I, I know, I don't know about you, but I always say a snack and a nap go a long way. And when you haven't had a snack or a nap, uh, you yeah. tend to bite people's heads off and look at the world through a glib or uh, depressed or fearful lens that uh, that isn't hope-filled at all and so uh, so I hope you get the rest that you're looking for so that Midwest City can uh, take a deep breath and set yeah. out on there I think part of adventure. the proactiveness of sabbatical is that you don't wait till you get there to go 
Well, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. some congregations are like, well, our pastor is completely burnt out. <laughs> now let's... And even when I was writing that grant, the the idea was they actually wouldn't approve it if they thought that you were just doing it because you were burnt out. They're like, you need to get some counseling, some other things going on if you're burning out. That's different than sabbatical. Sabbatical is this kind of rhythm of rest uh, where you're in a healthy place, healthy enough to rest, actually. you know. So um, so I think it's, it's kind of also a preventative thing because I don't feel like I'm you know, about to give up or quit or anything like that. But um, I do I do sometimes realize, and, and I've heard from others, that once you get this break, that you won't even know how tired you were until you stop. Like, like there's that, that kind of continual going, and you, we all kind of push ourselves to keep moving forward. And sometimes yeah. it takes that stopping to actually, you know, realize, oh, man, I was really tired so it's it's kind of preventative uh to keep you from um you know like just completely burning out or wearing out So yeah, so that's what I'm doing today. I'm actually making a list of everything I do. And it was encouraging to me because I thought I only worked one day a week. (laughs) (laughs) And when I put it all out on paper, I'm like, oh, that's why I'm tired. Oh, yeah. I do some stuff. I did earn my paycheck. Yeah. (laughs) As if, well, that that could get us into a whole other discussion of (laughs) earning your paycheck. I was just, I was just. I know uh, you're being sarcastic. Being sarcastic again. I I apologize. There's, there's so many, there's so many things with that. There's, have you ever been, you know, has that ever been brought up to you in ministry? You know, people say, well, you know, these are the people who pay your pay, you know, give you your paycheck. So you probably. I I haven't gotten that much, but I've heard it some. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a little bit of it and uh, over the years and and I just I, I don't I don't know that I've ever most of the time I stand stunned going yeah I don't know that you understand ministry at all cuz Yeah. I'm not sure you understand how this whole tithing thing goes. It's like yeah. we release that money to God. It's not like a business transaction kind of deal yeah. where you're like I pay you so you do what I say. If you know if if we do that kind of stuff, then there's no room for the preacher to ever be prophetic to ever say, oh, no. you know, yeah. this is not we're not living how we should be. Like to step in and say, church, we need to think about some of these things um, because if you're just you know those people are paying your salary, there becomes this kind of really detrimental feeling that you have to say what's going to make them happy. And I don't think most pastors I know would do that just for that. Sure. But there's underlying, there's like that subliminal thing that's like sure there is. And along okay. with that comes this transactional doctrine. Yes. You know, uh, this transactional salvation uh, and right. atonement theory. There's a uh, then everything about the gospel becomes transactional. And when that's the case, then it's not. Uh, you know, then then if my kid who's in the youth group and you're the youth pastor, if my kid you know does something uh that that's off uh that's outside of the lines of what we've deemed to be christianity then right. um it's your fault because you're yeah. a professional in charge of my kid and and we do this in education a lot too I mean, you didn't that, do your job yeah you didn't do your job my 
you know, uh, if a, if a kid fails a test at school, it's the teacher's fault. You know, yeah. um, if uh, and and we do this all over the place. This is how we. This is what we call accountability, right? Right. The paycheck is your accountability, and we'll cut it off if you don't. Well, that's not accountability. That's not even in the realm of what accountability is supposed to be. Accountability is something that comes from the commitment that I made. And most of accountability is me holding myself responsible to the commitment that I've made. And if you're part of my accountability uh, influence, you're not there to point your finger at me and tell me how I've there's a deficit. You're there to help me explore my gifting so that I can be the very best at this thing that I can be. Accountability is intended to be encouragement not discouragement right and so we tend right to, but we tend to see that backwards in a transactional society yeah and nothing in the gospel is transactional because first of no. all we we have nothing to give god so it's like we yeah. come with nothing and it's all just generosity poured out yeah. on us and so the whole idea of giving your offering is just we've received generously so we generously give yeah like you know, if you look at the early church, that 10% number goes way by the wayside. They just bring everything extra and lay it at the apostles' feet. Sure. If you can imagine sure. us bringing everything extra that we had, whatever we need to live on to get by, and then everything extra goes, you know, to help those in our church who might be struggling. Right. Uh, so that was the original plan. Yeah. Your congregation is going to continue to give you what they've always given you in terms of uh, caring for your family, a paycheck, right. as it were. Yeah. Uh, they're going to continue to do that while you do nothing? I know, and that's yeah. the thing. That's the that's the interesting thing because some people are like, well, why are we giving our pastor a three-month vacation? You know, it's like, um, <laughs> and it's not that at all. It's that yeah. whole idea of, yeah, we believe this will be better for our church. We believe this will be better for us. Um, we may step up and take on some roles that when our pastor gets back, our pastor didn't need to be doing it anyway. Like I'm looking at some of the things I'm doing. I'm like, I have pe perfectly qualified people who could do this. Why am I doing it? You know what I'm saying? Yes. Uh -huh. And, and they're simple tasks. Some of them take an hour a week or so. And, sure. uh, but when they start to add up, they add up a lot. And so that's another part is for the church to, to have this opportunity to realize ministry and, uh, one of my, my pastors, uh, my pastor CB in Fort Worth, his church grew. He's gone on three sabbaticals because he's been there like 30 years. Uh, his yeah. church grew two out of the three times, and the other one held steady because the people started doing the ministry. So that was an interesting thing to think about. Like, you know, um, maybe maybe the church will be better when I'm not around. Who knows? Yeah, that well, would be a big always... blow to my ego, wouldn't it? Would it? No, well, they kind of hope. The, don't you hope that? Yeah, happens? that's what I hope happens. Like, for I mean, sure. I hope it happens. I yeah. hope I come back and I but find out. But you know out, what I'm you know? saying? Y'all didn't need me at all. Yeah. Like, I, if that's going to be a blow to my ego, then being in a relationship with Christ at all is kicking me in the teeth every day. <laughs> there are some days where I'm just like, like I. I don't even try. So the things that I try really hard at in ministry, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be great, and it's going to make an impact, and it's going to transform lives, and we're just going to see beautiful things happen as a result. And I'm working myself in my brow, sweating, in my, you know, and I'm just I'm killing myself over it. And then it happens, and it's like, eh. And yeah, then, I know. And then when I'm not paying attention, and uh, I'm just kind of sort of standing there, you know, with my finger in my nose, Kind right. of figure, trying to figure out where to go next. 
incredible things happen. And I just sort of sometimes I've literally at the end of days like that, I've put my hands in the air and I've looked heavenward and I've said, do I even matter in this equation? Like, <laughs> you're just going to do what you want to do. Well, that's and when your I try ego hard, talking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But that's that's what's going on, you know. And, yeah. and I think. I, but that's what we want. Like, right. so I'm just saying, like, deep if, down inside, it is. Yeah, but sure. you know, you're you're past the point of that conversation, that ego conversation, uh, just by being in relationship with Christ, right? Right. Like, yeah. Once you enter into that relationship, whatever else happens, you you got to kind of go. Well, we should have been expecting that because God yeah. does whatever the heck God wants to do. <laughs> Speaking of what you were talking about, I was at a seminar on Monday at SNU. And the guy said, he was talking about people's like sleeping while you preach. And then they'll wake up and they'll say all these great things that God told them through your sermon. You know, they'll come to you after and say, you know, the Lord really spoke to me. And he was like, that's just God saying to me, I don't need you in this. I can put people to sleep and speak to them if I want that's to. Right. Like, like, you know, because we've all had that experience where somebody comes up to us after, even if they're not sleeping and says, I love it when you said this. And you're like, never said it. Yeah, it didn't say Wasn't that. Wasn't in the sermon notes. Don't, I don't, don't know what don't you're think talking I'm, about. It's like God is speaking outside of what, you, mm-hmm. what you're on. And then or every once in a while, the thing that yeah. they say, I'm like, that couldn't have been God speaking to you because that's way out there, dude. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I was going to say. Sometimes they, uh, they say, Pastor, oh, man, this is what I got from that. And I'm thinking, well, that's the opposite of what I was going for. Like, right. I was really... It's like, well, maybe I need to learn how to communicate again. I'm going well, back to the drawing board. It, it's it's such an interesting thing because you know right now, um, in such a polarized environment, we have a tendency to hear and apply whatever we deem as truthful. We just apply it to our already set ideologies, you know, and say, yeah. "Oh, that does reinforce my ideology." Well, how can the same verbiage reinforce two people on the opposite side of an issue? How can it reinforce their ideologies when they have different ideologies? Which is it's such... so funny. <laughs> it really does happen. Oh, I've been watching the these this the Supreme Court justice, uh, you know, the the, mm-hmm. the approval, the questioning, and all that stuff. And I'm like, I, I, it's really funny just to watch. Like, okay, this person has an R by their name, so I know exactly what they're gonna say. This person has a D by their name for Democrat, like. A, are a Republican <laughs> or decided. Like, I know exactly what they're going to say. And then at the end of the day, I'm like, just take a vote already. The votes are there. They're going to approve her. Like, on, on this one, we know the votes are there. It's just like all this, and a lot of it's because there's an election going on. They want to say the things they're going to say either way. But it's sure. just funny because everybody has their confirmation bias, and they're going to believe exactly what they want to believe. Regardless of anyone's argument, mm-hmm. the vote's going to go on. Everybody knows how it's going to proceed. I, sure. I seriously doubt anybody's vote's going to be swayed by these three days and millions of dollars of taxpayers. I don't know well, if it's millions of dollars, but I mean, we lots of even, our money going yeah. into it. We don't. Even when we have the facts in front of us, we interpret the facts differently. Right. Right. Yeah. Like it, people will say, well, that's a fact. Um, okay. It's a fact, but it's going to get skewed by perspective. Whatever lens somebody's working from, well, that fact means this, or that fact means it's like uh, back in the day when Clinton took took you know uh, took credit for uh, the the lower crime rate in the early '90s because of the Brady Law, 
and then Freakonomics gets written, and Levitt says, "No, he didn't. He we can't give the Brady Law credit for that. It wasn't enacted long enough. We actually have to go back in time and see what had happened here." And there's right. this transition, and and uh, his I, we won't go into it because what he had to say was rather controversial. But um, but if you haven't read Freakonomics, it's worth a read. But uh, I there's, haven't. There's always you know like we don't know if this present administration's uh, if the if the number in deportations is a direct uh, is directly from this administration or if it's uh, the residual from the previous administration or if right yeah you know, like trying to determine all of those and all those variables is very very difficult. What we do know is is sometimes that rhetoric has a direct effect, and we know that that the fear that people are experiencing can ha- is directly from a specific right. person or a personality. Um, and we can experience those kind of things. And yeah, sometimes there are policies that get enacted and they have immediate effect. But by and large, most policies take years to see the effects of them. And the statistics don't come in immediately. Right. They take time to compile. And so figuring all of that out, uh, yeah. But And so now we've said, hey, listen, we don't have time to wait on that. So we're just going to put an R by this person's name and a D by this person's yeah. name. And then you can just assume this set of truths. Right, yeah. That may or well, may not be true. That's how and that is the thing is is there is so much confirmation bias and even in statistics, you know I've I've noticed I always watch when people do statistics. It's like, why did you start here and end there? If you had started four more years before, would it have looked the same? <laughs> would this chart look the same? Yeah. So you can even yeah. look at statistics and say, okay, how are these statistics being manipulated in such a way that? they they fit the the narrative so yeah i think i think that's definitely a thing that we experience as pastors too is you have all these people who come into your church and they have an understanding of the world and very different understandings um we were talking about this we've been doing a a book club on kings and presidents and talking about political kind of turmoil right now and how the kingdom of god is bigger than all of it it was really good last night we talked about the faithfulness of God versus the kind of hysteria of election to election yeah. kind of, you know, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. God's been faithful through uh, centuries and thousands of years and God will continue to be faithful after November 3rd, no matter who's elected. Right. Um, so, but, yeah. but we were yeah. talking about this whole idea of, you know, just how people are very diverse in our congregations. Young people tend to think about, and I think sin to young people is more systemic and, and to older people it was all about morality and so there's that big divide <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and they were going in their book and talking about how we do not need to just assume young people are going to lead the church we just need to get uncomfortable with them like we need to all be a little bit uncomfortable yeah but but when people hear our sermons then they can interpret in their lens sometimes the same words somebody can think like two almost identical uh, uh, polar opposite things from the same words we're saying, which yeah, is very absolutely. interesting. <laughs> Happens all the time. Like, yeah. yeah. Pastor and, Nate was really preaching today about what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. The activist <laughs> the activist hears an activist agenda. Yeah. And uh, and the individual, the moralistic, uh, you know, gospel person hears a very privatized agenda. You know, and the consumer yeah. hears the consumer agenda and the, and the, you know, the prophet hears one thing and the priest hears another thing and the you know the teacher hears most of the time i think teachers 
Like if if you're a an apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, if you're a teacher, you're probably sitting in a conversation going, that could be so misconstrued. I'm gonna have to teach that from more angles. Yeah, you know, like it's the teacher in in those folks who are going who watch sitcoms and go, let just give me five minutes and I can explain to everybody in the picture uh, what they're misunderstanding. Yeah, and we'll That's set funny. this straight, you know. And so, and then the prophet's like, "No, it's just wrong," and you know, <laughs> and screaming and and telling us, uh, shaking the finger, and uh, and then the pastor's going, "Wait a minute, let's all just, can't we get along? Let's yeah. all get along. Yeah. We all have let's to get all along. love each other." And then the apostle's going, "Surely we can wrap this up, problem solve this real quick, so I can move on to the next issue." Yeah, you know, right? Apostle, prophet, evangelist, evangelist. I'm not sure what the evangelist is doing. I am least in touch with the evangelist, just to be to be honest with you. Just selling that product. No, I'm kidding. I, um, <laughs> that's so terrible. No, uh, uh, I I think uh, yeah, you you hit the nail on the head there, and I I definitely think that's why without uh, it's really a miracle that God speaks to people in the midst of preaching. You know, it's like if you're not really relying is. on the anointing and the power of God when you preach. Um, then then you there's no way that that the word is going to produce anything without the holy spirit because we all do come like like that way with mm-hmm. all of our stuff and somehow god breaks through it you know it's that whole the word breaks through you know the bones and marrow and spirit and i don't remember the exact wording right now i'm drawing a blank but you know what i'm saying sure the word um, breaks I- cuts through all of it Yes, it absolutely does, and and so uh, I, I wish you well in the planning and execution of your, your sabbatical because um, it's so it's so important that you that we not operate from a place of deficit, but we operate from a place of gifting, because when right. we operate from a place of deficit, then we tend to point out everyone else's deficits rather than acknowledge their gifting. Right. When yeah. We, when, that's when good. We're in that place, and so I, my prayer for you is that you would, uh, you would remember your gifting, and the church would realize, oh, you know, um, that there are some things that we can do to help our pastor live into his gifting, and not simply uh, expect him to fill every deficit, fill every yeah. void. Yeah, um, we good. can fill those voids, and 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 in doing so, might discover some of their giftings. Right, right, and so yeah. uh, then the church isn't operating from a from a deficit point of deficit, but operating from a place of gifting. And then we go, this is more than enough. We have more right. than enough. Yeah. Matter of fact, I think if we if we really break this open, we'll probably have twelve baskets full at the end of after we fed everybody. You know, we'll have more than enough, which is interesting yeah. since uh, we're about to head into the uh, a, se- a season of gratitude. Uh, yeah. Where where well, the celebration is that there is more than enough. I definitely agree with you there. I think if the church, if everybody exercised their gifts, we would just be blown away with how much excess <laughs> sure. of love, of everything that we need. Mm-hmm. Like like God has gifted us with more than enough to do the work he's called us to do. Yes. And I, the, only, the only issue is our obedience, really. So. It really is. And I think that's a, you know... We, we experience that in all kinds of ways in the liturgies of the church. It's about our obedience. You know, yeah. we want to ask questions. Why do we do this and why do we do that? And, and why is this important and why is that important? And shouldn't we change this? And, and we're really in this deconstructionist zone at the moment uh, as a nation. Right. And so I think, 
I think at some point submission uh, is what gets us is what gets us there. I, I'm not. I don't want to downplay the value of activism and the necessity of policy and policy right. changes. Mm-hmm. But I really do think that loving my neighbor uh, is is where it come. It boils down to loving my neighbor, and and I've said that a thousand times, and I'll I'll it'll probably be on my tombstone. Yeah, uh, but that's um, that's just such a uh, an important idea, and I think it it is the heart of the gospel. And I'm not able to love my neighbor if I'm not able to understand who I am in Christ and appreciate who I am in Christ. Um, and then yeah. if I'm, if I can't do that for me, then how am I going to do that for you? Yeah. Um, and That's so very that, good. then rest becomes so essential. I talked to a young man the other day who said, I just don't know who I am. And I don't know of a more disheartening conversation. Right. Like yeah. you don't know who you are. And he wasn't saying, you know, like I need to go backpacking through Europe kind of a thing. He was saying, the things in my life that are falling apart are falling apart because I am not in touch with who God created me to be. There was a time when I knew that, and I have forgotten it. Right. Well, yeah, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with you um, that we don't, we can't give love until we have received it, until we know our status as children of God and we know what God's calling us to do. So it's because then we're otherwise we're always reacting. And we're always trying to make ourselves lovable, and usually we push other people down to do that stuff. So, yeah, I, I'm praying this time will be really good for me too. There's an extended time of solitude and silence like I've never done before. So, I don't know. That may be tough, really tough for me. But, um, you know, I think it will be good also just to reconnect with what God wants me to do, who God's created me to be. I'm, I'm learning that more all the time. And uh, I'm really excited about it, actually. It's only two and a half months away, which feels like I better get on the ball of getting this stuff uh, out to everybody and making sure we're ready to roll. So, hey, man, we're at about 45 minutes. I've enjoyed talking to you today and uh, look forward to doing it again, hopefully next week and not in like three weeks. But <laughs> Well, we'll see. You know, this, right. is a, yeah. this is a busy world we live in and there's plenty yeah. to do. Yep. Well, love you, and uh, I'll talk to you again next time. All right, we'll see you. Take care. All right, bye. Hey, thanks again for listening to Pontificating Pastors. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or Anchor or any one of the other platforms. We hope you have a great week.